Good evening. Welcome back. Uh, welcome back from spring break. Um, can you all see Jesus over here? That's going to be important for tonight. So that's Jesus, if you don't know. That's uh, what he looked like. We have photos. Uh, he takes a lot of pictures on his spring break. Um, the fact that you're here and alive after spring break is some kind of win. Let's call that a win. Uh, <clears throat> I know coming back uh, from a time like spring break is often pretty rough. I could just know that. Um, I know for some of us in this room, we carry uh, guilt, you know, just from doing dumb stuff or making some mistakes. Um, I know that for some of us, it's just hard to incorporate what happened over spring break back into the daily life here. And I think I'm just pretty convinced that in times of transition, it's just hard for a lot of us to know how to do it. How do we, you know, step back into old habits or how do we carry new ones into new things or how do we make sense of what we just experienced, whatever. And, and look, if you um, want to talk or pray about what's going on in your heart and your mind, um, what happened over spring break or... <coughs> excuse me, what's happening here tonight, anything. Um, uh, ask like a friend who brought you, um, unless you don't trust your friend who brought you and then make some new friends. Uh, we've got some student leaders here at the house, um, our interns, our staff, we'd love to meet with you and talk with you. So um, I'm Jason, I do work here. <laughs> I'm a pastor at the house. And, and if, you don't, if you don't know this, um, you know, this is one of the dynamics of, of something like a college ministry is the turnover is very high. So the intention is that you graduate at some point. Um, and you can't stick around here forever. Uh, and, and so what that means is, is new folks are coming all the time every year. Lots of new people are here. And sometimes we just assume that everybody knows what's going on and stuff like that. So if you don't know, as a ministry, um, the house is, is sent on behalf of local churches in Chattanooga and Christians around the nation to make disciples of Jesus in the city. So we actually are sort of a chaplaincy ministry. Like we're... we're um, it, pastors and ministers sent on pilgrimage to be with college students on, on this campus. Um, and it's our hope that you're known and that you know Jesus. That's what, that's what our hope is. And, and that doesn't, whatever you participate in and what we do, what we do together, whether it's Tuesday night worship or core groups or you just make friends and move into a house together um, or you're mentored by somebody on our staff or an older student in the context of this ministry or maybe you're just grateful because uh, there's a bunch of churches and people in this nation who want to provide you with a safe space on campus for you to sleep through classes downstairs. Um, I don't encourage you to do that. But, but whatever it is in anything, if there's some way in which you are being known and knowing Jesus, uh, my heart is full. Like, our heart is full. That's what we're here for. Uh, that's what we're about. And during this time every week on Tuesday nights, we have this tremendous opportunity to worship God. Um, I, don't, I don't know why you came, but it's my prayer um, that you receive what God has to offer here. That's my hope. Um, this evening, we're talking uh, about just that. We're talking about welcoming God into our lives and into our midst. If you've been with us over the course of the semester, we've been studying the gospel according to John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, and, and we've come upon, if you're with us in the reading, we've come upon Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. And as we hear what he has to say, uh, truthfully, oh, shoot, I forgot those papers. Um, Kirsten, do you, hey, how you doing? Uh, I have no clue where they are. I think they may be on my desk. Um, there's like 30 of them, and they may be in two different piles. Uh, okay, uh, sorry. She, Kirsten's uh, incredible, if you don't know this. Um, I can say things like that, and she knows what's happening. So um, in any case, um, the, the reason I just thought about that is because we're going to wade neck deep into Trinity talk tonight, okay, into what Christians call the Trinity. And I wish that we had like three hours to meet. If you know me, you know that I actually do wish we had like three hours to meet. Um, but but I, I have put, uh, I, 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 Kirsten will put um, a, a very basic um, handout um, 
it's like one or two pages or something like that, um, giving you sort of the basic scope of the Christian notion of the Trinity, okay? And at the very least, it should point you to the most relevant places in the Bible which unfold this concept. So it'll just be by the door in the back. I actually asked our staff, I was like, if I print this, like how many copies do you think people will take? Somebody was like, five. Somebody else was like, 50. So I don't know. Uh, I think we made like 20, but who knows what Kirsten can find. Um, I can send you a PDF too. Anyway, that's just going to have to do for tonight. I, I'm sorry, because tonight we're going to dance with this mystery of the Trinity, and we're not going to explain her. Um, so we're going to speak as directly as we can about the Holy Spirit, and I think you'll see um, why this conversation just kind of throws us into the deep end of Trinitarian theology. So even that phrase, right? Um, <clears throat> all right, pray with me, because, uh, uh, yeah, if you've just heard me talk, you know we need prayer. So let's go. Um, <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you, he's worth us being here. He's worth everything, all of it, everything. Thank you for each person who's come here tonight, that we have the honor of being here together and not alone. Thank you for the Christians throughout the ages who have recollected and, and recorded the stories so that we don't have to guess, we don't have to look at a tree and wonder who you are, but that we know you've shown up and you've revealed yourself to us Like we sang, would you let us become more aware of your presence? Would you let us experience your goodness? It may be true that your glory is what our hearts long for, but the fact is, Lord, it's just not. It's just not. But it would be better. The things we long for and the things that we pine after are terrible gods so often. Show us tonight that you're better through the words of your son, through the presence and the empowering work of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's called the Spirit of God or the Comforter or the Helper or simply the Spirit. The Spirit is mentioned by name, by, by like one of those names, uh, all throughout the Bible from the opening words of Genesis to the closing sentences of Revelation. If we think about him <laughs> at all, uh, I, I suspect it's often because we're wondering if like the goosebumps that we feel on the back of our neck are simply because we're cold or because God's like doing something. Um, or some of us might wonder if like the urge to say hi to a particular person means that God's spirit is telling me that I should marry them. Um, you know, or maybe I'm just attracted to them, I don't know. Uh, it's a mystery, it's a mystery, you know. Um, well, there probably is in a room, in a group this size, there's probably some of us who've grown up in, in some traditions who talk a lot about the Spirit of God, okay? But for most of us in this room um, and the students that I know who just come here from the various traditions that they come from, um, we probably just don't talk much about the Spirit and he comes with a lot of mystery. I know that. Um, but the Spirit's work is like seen all over the Old Testament in the creation, in the Exodus, in the time of the judges, in the times of the kings, through the prophets. There is not a season in Israel's history where the Spirit of God is not mentioned in their writings. And even though we can see God's spirits, like his fingerprint all over our history, we actually see him most clearly in Jesus. And this makes sense if you've been like reading along with us this semester in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> you might remember that John said in, in chapter 1, verse 18, John 1, 18, <clears throat> that Jesus makes God known to us. Jesus makes God known to us. And so we're going to talk about what Jesus told us about the Spirit. 
Like, what does the Spirit do? How do we recognize the Spirit's work? And in light of all the mystery around the Spirit, why might it be important for us to know about the Spirit? So my hope is to be utterly clear with you tonight, okay? Does that sound good? All right. Um, the scripture we're looking at tonight comes from one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible. Um, every year, I wonder if, this, if I'm just going to preach this again and again and again. It's one of my favorite sections. John chapters 13 through 17. <clears throat> um, Okay, uh, that's a lot. Um, we're not going to read all five chapters here, okay? But, um, but we're going to look at a few verses from the section of the story. So I, I encourage you to write this down, okay? If you take notes, John 13 through 17, that's the section. It's, and it's all incidentally one scene, okay? This moves from Jesus' last supper with his friends to his betrayal. And, and from that dinner table to, um, to really this prayer in John 17, it's all one continuous dialogue. So I know reading it in chapter breakups doesn't really help encourage the notion that this is one conversation, but it's one conversation. Um, and I'm going to uh, pick up some stuff in the middle of this, right? So th th this is the night of his betrayal. He's about to be turned over to be crucified. That's where we are. If you don't know that Jesus is crucified, sorry to ruin the story. Um, and though, <clears throat> though his disciples, oh. <laughs> I fixed it. It's good. I'm not going to touch that. It's going to be really hard for me not to touch that again. Um, okay. This is the night of his betrayal. Um, okay, so Jesus is about to be turned over to be crucified. And, and his disciples can't believe it. He has told them that he needs to die. They don't believe it. And, and they're scared and they're anxious. Do you know why? Because he told them that he was going to leave them. I'm about to leave and where I'm going, you cannot follow. And they freak out. And in the conversation that happens, the ensuing conversation, in their anxiety, in their unrest, Jesus tells them a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm pulling out sections relevant to our discussion today uh, from, from this large dialogue. I mean, Jesus talks about the Spirit directly in John 14, in John 15, in John 16. It's hard to argue that he's not at work also in 13 and 17. Like, he's, he's Spirit's everywhere in this section. I encourage you to read the whole thing. It'll take you 15 minutes. Sit down and read it at some point, right? But I'm going to pull out some sections relevant to our discussion today because I want you to see a few things that Jesus draws our attention to with regards to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start looking at John 14, verses 15 through 17. Would you put that up on the screen for me? Uh, who's running slides tonight? Tyler? Thanks, man. Um, assuming it's Tyler. Okay, uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him or sees him nor knows him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So if you, if you keep that up on the screen just for a minute, like this starts out with a gift and the gift is love. If you love me. And it's a different sermon altogether, but, but that will only happen. You will only love God if he has melted your heart for him. That must be a gift that you receive. But if we do love him, here's our task. Keep his commandments. That's what we do. We love. Love as Jesus loves. That's what he just got done telling them a minute ago in the story. We love as Jesus loves, not in any way that we want to define love. Some of us really like the word love because we feel like it's untethered from anything concrete. And we can just, what it means is I just get to be me. I get to do me. That's not what Jesus' command is to love as I have loved. This concept is utterly tethered to the one who spoke it. Love as Jesus loves, not in any way we want to define it. He doesn't leave love up to our own definition. Love like he loved. 
And friends, that is like straight to the gut. Jesus finds this way of saying, here's a new command I give you, and it turns out it's just kind of a summary of a lot of stuff. Love as I've loved. And don't get cute with it or make it complicated. It's actually really simple. It's just freaking hard. Loving like he loved. Sacrificing ourselves for others. It's really hard. It's so hard that we're actually tempted to make it complicated and to squirm out of it. And to think that Jesus' command must have been something more cute or more complicated. Not just do what I do. But there it is, right? Keep his commands. Okay, that's what he tells us to do, right? His disciples are freaking out. You're going where you're going. If you love me, keep my commands. Okay, and what's Jesus going to do? Jesus will ask the Father, because we're to assume that the Father listens to the Son, I guess, right? And the Father will give another helper. That, that means, of course, that, 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 that Jesus is referring to himself as the current helper. Because they already have a helper with them. It's, it's Christ in the flesh, right? God's going to send you another helper. The Holy Spirit will be like me, doing the same kind of work I do, and he'll be with you forever. The Holy Spirit will come and dwell in and among you. Let's keep going through the text. There might be some questions, but I hope we can, we can hit most of them, all right? Uh, John 14, verses 25 through 27. Jesus keeps going directly about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 25 to 27. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now that's uniquely important for the 11 folks around him at that point because they didn't have written accounts. It's probably really important that they were, they, they, their memories were jogged so that they could record this stuff for us, right? A peace I leave with you, he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you see in this passage the heart of Jesus, the heart of our Lord? Peace, comfort. That's his hope. Like, why is he having this conversation with them? I couldn't shake this. Like, in all the writing of the stuff tonight, like, the, the heart of our Lord is what stuck out to me the most. He's trying to bring them peace and comfort. Why is he telling them all this about the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus believes that in telling us what the Holy Spirit does, it will bring us peace and comfort. What will the Spirit do? How will he do this? He's gonna, he's gonna teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all that Jesus says. This is what the Spirit's gonna do. And Jesus, with these truths spoken, is speaking peace and comfort to his followers. And he goes on in John 16, verses eight through 15. This is when stuff starts to get really specific. And when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go, Jesus, goes to the Father, and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Look, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. now I, I hope you can hear that as grace. Sometimes that verse alone just kind of stops me in my track. I, I don't, because I, I do a lot of communicating for a job, actually, um, I, and some other temptations and stuff that I have, I actually think sometimes that if I could just, if you just give me a second to explain, then I could make you understand. It's one of the sin tendencies that I have. Like, I think that that could happen. Here's Jesus like, who has, there's nobody in history who's ever had more perfect command of words and knows the intention of what's going on in the hearts of his listeners. And he says, there's many more things I have to tell you, but you're not ready. And there's grace there. There's grace there. He'll make us ready to receive what he wants to tell us 
If you live for another 60 years, God will be unfolding opportunities to teach you things he could never teach you now because you're not ready yet. Jesus himself says this to his disciples, and he says this in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. That's a crazy line, isn't it? All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know what the Spirit will do when he comes? Will you go back to the the beginning of this for me real quick? When he comes, he will convict. He will convict. We we just don't like this word. We don't like this concept, right? This is like, you know what conviction means? I'm sure intuitively it's like this formal, strong, inward recognition that something's off. It's this inward recognition that something's off. You get that? Like when you're convicted. Like, that's what it means. I'm not convicted. I would never say this. I'm not convicted that I love you. I could be convicted that I'm envious of you, right? Like, I'm not convicted that I eat health food. You guys, I'm just really convicted right now. I eat really healthy. Like, you, don't say, you don't say that because you understand probably intuitively by the use of the word that conviction implies something off. I, I'm feeling really convicted. I'm eating terribly all the time. I keep complaining that I have no money and I spend all of it on fast food which is terrible for my body and my wallet. And I feel, look, that's not like a slam. And I actually do that, okay? So that's not like a slam. I felt like it was safer just to do that one, okay? Um, but, like, but that's where conviction comes in is when something is actually off. Conviction always carries with it this connotation that something is off. And if I'm convicted, it means I've come to know it. It's not just that something's off. It's that I've actually come to some recognition that something's off. You with me? So conviction, nobody wants to nod their head because I'm talking about conviction. I get it. Okay. Um, well, friends, this is like what the Spirit does. He convicts us. He convicts us of what? Of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Why those three? And I could only be brief here because I want to try to summarize some, some of this big stuff going on, okay? But why those three? Because I think those are three things that we get really wrong. Like what is truly bad in the world? Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin. What's truly bad in the world, what's truly good, and what judgment has been made about this world, our answers to those questions are just off over and over again. And Jesus sends his Spirit to convict us of those things, that we might have a true understanding of right and wrong and judgment. So what's wrong with the world? Do you think it's poverty? Do you think it's slavery? Do you think it's our president? Do you think it's anger? Those are literally just symptoms. I gotta be careful with the president comment. Okay, Uh, I didn't actually, that wasn't even in my notes. I just said it because I thought it would play, but now it's dangerous. Okay, Um, let's stick with poverty, slavery, and anger, okay? Those are just symptoms. What's wrong in the world, according to the Spirit and according to Jesus, is that the world doesn't believe in Jesus. But you and I don't believe that. If I say um, child slavery or that the world doesn't believe in Jesus, we're like, okay, I think I'm supposed to say this because that gives me like a star in some class or something, but like, I feel like this is probably right. Don't we? What's really wrong? What's, what's, What's sinful in the world? We don't believe in Jesus, and you know what we do because of that? We crush each other for self worth. 
and look only to our own interests and feel unclothed and unshamed and ashamed because we do not believe that he loves us like he does. If we believed in him, would there be any reason for me to step over somebody else? Would I operate out of insecurity and anger and envy and lust and lie? If I believe that Jesus actually is the ruler of the world and he's taught, he created me and he loves me and he will judge me. And he says, Jason, let your yes be yes. Would I lie if I actually believed that? No, but I do because I don't believe it. We're off about what we think is really wrong with the world. And what's truly right? It turns out it's not just fixing some cultural problems. Until God makes all things new, do you know that Jesus said that the poor will always be among us? This doesn't mean we shouldn't go out and love and serve the poor. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that Christ needs to complete a work. And until he does that, we're not going to fix everything. In other words, what's truly right in the world is not your social justice agenda. It's Jesus finishing what he started. That's what's truly right in the world. Read John 16. Read the passage we just read. Concerning righteousness, it's Jesus going to the Father. The implication there is him reigning with authority and until the Father puts all things in subjection under his feet and he finishes the redemptive work that he had planned. What does the Spirit convict us of? That righteousness, which is really right in the world. It turns out God loves people more than you, friend. He does. And so we want Him to have victory. But what about judgment? We think the world is won. Look, it killed our Savior, right? <laughs> like, I'm a Christian. I still struggle with loneliness. I guess this is all a joke. I follow Jesus and I still get sick, and guess what? We all die. Stuff like that, you know, like those kinds of things happen to us. We're surprised and we're shocked often. We look to the horizon and we see everybody else and we think that God's judgment is not good enough. But that's not the whole story, right? He actually rose from the grave. Like publicly and in history, he rose from the grave. He disarmed the world by taking its best shot and rising over it, offering himself to it. That's what's crazy, not only does, does Christ take that shot and rise again, he then loves all these people. He loves them. It's crazy. We're wrong about what's wrong, and we're wrong about what's right, and we're wrong about the judgment of the world, and I know we don't like to hear it, friends. But the Spirit convicts us of this, and the Spirit sets us aright, and he does all of this conviction in one way, by pointing us to Jesus. We are convicted of sin in reference to our belief in Jesus, of righteousness in reference to Jesus' obedience to and work with the Father. We're convicted of judgment in reference to how the rulers of this world were judged and made known upon the cross. In all of this conviction, the Spirit points us to Jesus. The Spirit, that's the hard one, the Spirit convicts. The rest of it's a little easier, okay? He guides us into all truth. There's a dark side to that because the assumption is, is that we don't have or know all the truth and we gotta be led into it. We won't find it out on our own. If you don't know this about Christians, we are truly, apart from Christ, a, a helpless people. We're a helpless people. I remember my, my sophomore year of college in Haggett Hall at the University of Washington. Um, someone asked me uh, if God was just a crutch to me. 
it was a strange college campus, very different than here. I loved it um, in the sense that um, the dorm, that sounded really bad. The dorm that I lived on, um, I would go to something much like this on, on Tuesday nights, incidentally, called The Inn, because apparently we, we all have places that are abodes. Um, and, uh, and so I'd go there, and I was trying to figure out what I believed, and I would come back from the college worship service, and the elevator would open on the eighth floor, and there was a big foyer that both elevators opened onto, and the girls' halls were on one side, and the guys on another, whatever, at the time, anyway. They're probably all mixed now. But, like, I, uh, I get out of the elevator, and there would literally be people waiting at this table for me to come report and tell them, what do Christians say when they get together? Um, and I'd be like, dude, it was crazy tonight. They were talking about this book called Romans. You guys ever read it? That, that's like, those are actual conversations, okay? Uh, it was kind of wild. I loved it. Um, but this, this girl said to me one time, she goes, she goes, you just believe in Jesus or, or in God because he's a crutch. And I, I replied without even thinking, like just a gut response. I said, he's more like a wheelchair or a stretcher. That's what I said. And I hated that I said it because it went to battle with this intellectual pride that I had that I was like, I don't need that stuff. But I, I said it and I knew it was right. That was the Spirit of God convicting me of truth. That's still not even quite right, okay? Because I was dead and now I'm alive. And that's more than just sitting in a wheelchair. You get that? It's so much, it's, it's like so much worse than I ever thought and so much greater than I ever imagined, okay? That's what this is. But the Spirit of God leads people into truth. So we are people who acknowledge our need, not just for conviction, because we get it wrong a lot, but our need for a guide, because without help we're lost. And finally, Jesus tells us that his spirit will take what belongs to him and declare it to us. Jesus is giving us what is rightfully his. This begins to get at the core of the whole entire gospel, friends. He actually said, the spirit will glorify me. And do you know how the spirit's gonna glorify Jesus? By taking what's his and declaring it to his people. What he deserves, what he owns, what he has authority over, He's declaring all of this to and for his people, his kingdom, his way of life, his resources, his very self for us. And the Spirit declares that truth of this over and over again. Why? Because we forget. That's why. We need conviction because we're off. We need a guide because we're lost. And we need to be reminded because we forget. We need the Spirit to declare to us what is ours in Christ Jesus. And we come to know and remember this through the Spirit, that all Jesus has is for us. It's for us. This is the Spirit's work. I want, I want to put it all together just in a screen because I want you to like see it together. Would you put that slide up with like the five sentences up there? Do you have that? Great. So this is what Jesus says the Spirit's work is in, in, in his uh, sort of final messages to his disciples before he went to the cross, okay? to make his home in and among them, to remind them of what Jesus said, to convict us or to them, uh, is us, everything's us, right? Okay, good. Um, to remind us of what, <laughs> I'm a one in the Enneagram, if that's not obvious. Uh, to remind us of what Jesus said, to convict us of where we're off, to guide us into truth, and to declare to us what we have in Christ Jesus. This is, this is a, I think, a fair summary. Now look, the Bible has like a ton more to say about what the Spirit's up to, okay? Uh, regeneration and birth and the way he prays for us and all these other things, okay? The, the giftedness for the body's work together, okay? Um, but th this is a good summary, I think, of what Jesus said right here at the end for this particular conversation with his disciples. And, and the reason why I like this one, not only because we're going through the book of John, but because this is a particular conversation he's having with his friends to bring them comfort and peace. And a lot of you that I know are hungry, so hungry for comfort and peace you're riddled with anxiety and being unsettled 
And maybe it's not Jesus, but you're worried that whatever you have is gonna go and then you're gonna be left without him. And that's the kind of conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples here to bring them comfort. He told them he was leaving and they were freaking out. And in his effort to comfort them and give them peace, he told them, I will be with you and I'll convict you. Don't worry, I'll set you right. I'll lead you. I'll remind you of all the promises that you have in me. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. Okay, that said, if you can just leave that up there pretty much the rest of the time, that'd be great. I wanna say a couple of practical things that, 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 that are, are get teased out in other parts of scripture and are implied at least here. Three things, I said a couple, I mean a few. First, the spirit is a person. The spirit is a person, not an it, not a they. The spirit is not some friend of God's, but God of very God. I said we can't go into the Trinity too much right now, okay? But this is how the spirit is revealed to us by Jesus Christ and through his disciples. The spirit is not some force. It's, it's not like Jedi stuff. That's not what this is. He, he's not a battery. He's not some chi. He's not some God energy or God power. None of that. The spirit, don't get me wrong, the spirit empowers Okay, he gives power, surely unspeakable power resides in and comes from, exists in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But do not call the Spirit it, friends. And do not think of him as impersonal energy when Jesus tells us that the Spirit is personal. Do you imagine if I called you an it all the time? I'm emphatic about this, okay? Like, it makes me kind of frustrated when I hear people call the Spirit it. Okay, second, that's one. Second, and the tables might turn a bit here, okay, for some of us, right? Speaking in tongues, miraculous healing. Some of you are nervous right now. Miraculous healing, prophetic future claims, the skies parting in response to prayer. I've actually seen all that. Not like all of it. I, all of those things I have actually seen. Like I've literally watched us pray and clouds part. I've seen people get healed miraculously in front of me. I've had people speak weird prophecy over me that I've never even met very specifically, and they came true. I've seen that kind of stuff. I don't know what else to say other than that I've seen it, and, and some of us might think primarily about that kind of thing when we think about the Spirit of God, but I want to submit to you that that's probably not the primary way that we should think about the Spirit. Like the people of Jesus' time, they wanted signs and wonders, okay? I get it, I get it. And we have this weird assumption. I know I have uh, you know, a bunch of family members and friends that are agnostic or atheists. And, uh, a bunch of people I know at some time are like, if God just like did this, then I would believe. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And we start playing it out and they're like, you're right, I guess I wouldn't because I would just explain it away. Turns out nothing can be proved about that. Like literally, like a, God could show up and shake their hand and be like, wouldn't God? Sign in the sky, you know, lights up. Weird like Aurora Borealis thing, you know? Like, I mean, whatever it is, like, you know, this, the clouds literally part in front of me and it could be like, well, that was just like a weird freak act of nature right there and just the coincidence has aligned. You've prayed like tonight that like storms would not hit your house and stuff like that. You prayed for things all the time and just one time you happen to see it do a thing. You, you get that? Like we want signs and wonders. We think that's what we need, but I, it, it, didn't, it didn't matter to the Jews and the Greeks. The people of Jesus' time, he did signs and like, he raised people. I haven't actually seen somebody raised from the dead. I haven't seen that. And I would think, and a, and a part of me goes, man, if you see that, you're, you, can't, you can't like forget that, but you can. You actually can. 
I submit to you, if God came and did a miracle for you today that you could not explain by any way other than God, how many years would need to go by before you would say, I'm not doing it unless I see it again? Do you get what I'm driving at a little bit here? Okay, I, I don't think that primarily what we need is to see these sensational things. I, I really do know, I don't just think, I know that God's spirit does what we would call miraculous stuff. I, I know that in our midst and around this world, but that's up to him and I see no evidence for why we should focus on flashy signs and wonders. Just look at how Jesus talked about his spirit to the disciples. Do you want to know what the spirit is up to? It pro primarily, it's not parting the clouds and speaking in tongues and moving mountains if you've ever read 1 Corinthians 13, okay? Moving mountains or something, which would be a pretty crazy thing. I'm gonna pray right now and that mountain's gonna go like moving. Can you imagine? That's, that's, that's not primarily what we're supposed to be looking for. What, what is the Spirit up to? Comforting us with his presence. Reminding us what Jesus said. Convicting us of where we're off. Guiding us into truth and declaring to us what we have in Christ. That's where we should look first for his presence in our midst. Do you have moments of temptation where you recall the words of Jesus? Have you ever had that happen? That's the Spirit. Do you ever feel convicted of sin at all? That's the Spirit. Do you know that? Because of Jesus, and friends, I cannot say this emphatically enough, God doesn't draw near to you after you confess your sin. He draws near to you in order that you might confess your sin. So in the very throes of my darkness, when I have rejected him and others in some way, my mind, heart, actions, it doesn't matter, if I begin to feel convicted, the Spirit of God has already drawn close to me and he's with me. Any of this fear, like what's he gonna do or say, or like, like I'm hiding from him, is ridiculous. He loved us at our darkest. While we were still sinners, he died for us. He found us, and in, 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 I sort of got confused there because I actually quoted a song and then the scripture passages and I don't wanna confuse the two, okay? So in any case, uh, but Jesus, the, 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 Ezekiel, the prophet would say that God sort of came upon his people and they were wallowing in their blood. Ezekiel 17, and he breathed upon his people. and He said, live. This is where God finds us. He moves toward us in order that we might confess our sins. Have you never thought about that? I know it's a strange way to look at it, but there is comfort there, friends. That before you knew you were off, God already did and he moved toward you and is with you. In your darkest moments, God has already moved toward you, already demonstrating his love for you in the fact of your conviction. Do you have even an inkling that what Christ has promised for you might actually be true? Then friend, the spirit is alive in you. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus turns his disciples' eyes toward. That's the kind of stuff he says, you wanna know how the spirit's alive? Look at those things. If you're looking for the spirit's work, can I encourage you to look in those places first? Not in the sensational stuff, right? But in like the cross-shaped ministry of Jesus. Can I, can I encourage you to do that? Lastly, the spirit does not speak on his own account. He speaks what he hears. And Jesus does the same thing. We do not follow three gods or one God with two really close friends. We follow one God. What the Spirit says, the Father says. The Spirit and the Son and the Father will always be in agreement. This means that you can test everything you hear from the Spirit privately against everything we know that God has said publicly because he will not disagree with himself. I'm gonna say that one more time. 
You can test everything you hear from the Spirit privately against everything God has said publicly because he will not disagree with himself. If, it, if there's a disagreement, then your soup is talking to you, not the Holy Spirit. Among the million reasons to spend time knowing the Scriptures is that you will just better know the voice of God, all right? Friends, everything the Spirit does is Christ-centered. I want you to hear that tonight. Everything the Spirit does, everything. He reminds us of what Jesus said. He convicts us of sin by pointing to Jesus. He convicts us of righteousness by pointing to Jesus. He convicts us of, uh, of judgment by pointing to Jesus. He leads us into truth, and Jesus has already told us that he is the truth. Everything the Spirit does is about Jesus. He is not about sensationalism for sensationalism's sake. You might even say that the Holy Spirit's a bit of an introvert. He doesn't want the attention. He's behind the scenes, under the radar, doing the work that he is sent to do. It's all about Jesus. And so if you want to know what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in just a, a small image that I'm hoping might capture some of it, this is what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Some of why he's mysterious is because he keeps pointing out Jesus, who is the exact image and representation of God for us. He's one with God. If you know that this is the work of the Spirit, then when you recall the Scriptures, when you're reminded of what Jesus said, when you feel convicted by sin, when you see that you've been led, even if ever so incrementally in truth, you can actually rejoice because it means God is with you. And he's leading you on to the day that Christ returns in the flesh. This is the comfort and peace that Jesus leaves with us until the day that he comes again. His very spirit continuing the work that Jesus started. There are people in the back every single Tuesday night to pray with you during the last couple songs. Let's pray together though first. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking in unity. Father, thank you for sending your spirit to remind us of what Jesus said, to, to be with us, to convict us, to lead us, to declare to us because, because we forget and we're off and we need help and all these things, all the reasons why we won't, might want Christ with us in the flesh. He has been faithful to provide us until he comes again. I pray that you, would, um, that you would work to bring comfort and peace to anybody in this room who unnecessarily doubts whether you're with them. As we sing songs declaring who you are, may we believe that, um, may we know that what this is really about is us receiving from you, not us offering you all of our, I don't know, emotions and hands and voices and all that stuff. This is us just responding to what you give us. Would you help us um, to, to know how your spirit is at work in our midst? Would you help us to pay attention to how your spirit is pointing out the sun, to keep our eyes fixed on him and help our unbelief where we struggle with that. We love you and thank you so much for not leaving us as orphans. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.